when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this show, but don't worry. Got a terrific guest lined up. Going to have Nate Edwards, who covers Missouri for a Rock M Nation of, of course, SB Nation fame. And man, I cannot recommend this interview enough. He really delivered the goods here, went on a deep dive, everything Missouri Tigers. I really think all SEC fans are going to learn quite a bit from Nate's appearance here on the show. Even got to... Talk a little bit about the rivalry, quote-unquote, with Arkansas. So uh, that's really good stuff. But before we get to that, like I said on our last podcast, we got quite a bit of SEC news to get to. We didn't quite get to it with all the NFL draft coverage here. So let's just get going here and let's hop around the league. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around. My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, you know it's the slow time of the offseason when you start seeing these graphics come out from, you know, we've seen it in years past. It was... Scott Cochran hired by Georgia. They were touting all the guys he <laughs> developed at uh, old Alabama. We've seen it with, I think, Jimbo staff at Texas A&M, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, you know, claiming all these guys that they did coach and recruit and develop and all that. So we got to give them credit. But the reason I bring that up, the latest comes from Auburn. 
War damn eagle. Well, they've got the new coaching staff. It, this certainly seems like a reaction to Auburn kind of having a down NFL draft with only four picks, none in the first two rounds. So they really wanted to emphasize the point that this, uh, you know, new era on Auburn, I get all that. I, and I kind of kid, but at the same time, my God, Auburn, we cannot put out a recruiting graphic here featuring Todd Gurley, A.J. Green, Matthew Stafford, Isaiah Wynn, one of those guys all have in common, played for Georgia. <laughs> a team, your rival from the other side. This is uh, just not going to cut it. Again, not a big deal, but you're open yourself to getting mocked here. You might as well just uh, leave all the Georgia Bulldogs, and while you're at it, leave all the Crimson Tide players in all future graphics there. You'd be doing yourself a huge favor. I really hit on that for a reason because I wanted to start here at Auburn on the Plains because if you missed it, there's been a flurry of action in the NCAA transfer portal. And, you know, to Brian Harson's credit, you know, there's good and bad here, so I don't think I'm just piling on him here. But when he got to Auburn, we didn't really see a ton of defections from his program. Whereas, hell, just look at Tennessee and all the defections they had. South Carolina, quite a few there as well. And, hell, we all know Vanderbilt. They're working with about half a roster. So a lot of these programs with first-year coaches in the SEC really getting hit hard by the transfer portal. And that was not necessarily the case on the Plains, but that has changed here in the last couple days. Now, they're not losing any necessarily standout players here, but they have had four guys enter the portal in the last week, starting with a defensive lineman, Jaron Handy, came in with a ton of hype from Mississippi. He has uh, not yet made a decision on where he'll go, but you know they were going to be counting on him. Second-year defensive lineman Jay Hardy was soon to follow. And, of course, Tennessee fans know that name. Now they're all hoping they get him back. But this was the guy that, uh, you know, he's had quite the saga there in recruiting where, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and company thought they were going to get him. And they held the ceremony there at his high school, and he surprisingly committed to Auburn. I think that was a surprise to a ton of people. And then, of course, it got even weirder because he did not – officially announced he signed with the program. Auburn didn't announce it either. And this was uh, during the early signing period. And Tennessee kept recruiting him. <laughs> and apparently Tennessee went to uh, the high school and he was hiding and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. At least that's the story anyway. And then it comes out that Jay Hardy had signed with Auburn, which means Tennessee was essentially recruiting a violation. But, well... <laughs> I did not mean to go down this rabbit hole of Tennessee and violations, but I, I think this one, they didn't even know they were committing. So that was the backstory with Jay Hardy, who signed with Auburn under Gus Malzahn to play for Rodney Gardner. We all know Gardner, now the defensive line coach at Tennessee. So Jay Hardy, the Chattanooga native, may finally make his way back to the Vols. Of course, that's not official. And then on top of that, uh, Auburn lost quarterback Chael Garnett. Honestly, never even heard of this guy. He was a 2020 signee. He was on scholarship, but Auburn's not exactly deep at the quarterback position, so losing anyone there, not ideal. And then here on Tuesday, second-year defensive back Chris Thompson, who was an Under Armour All-American, appeared in six games last season, has also entered the portal. So, again, not freaking out. Just bringing attention to the fact that four guys have left now here following the conclusion of spring. And this is kind of 
this is to be expected. You know, they're not going to have everyone to stay on, and they probably gave Parson and his staff a chance here, and, and maybe it just didn't click. And if the players aren't 100% bought in anyway, I th- would think Brian Harson and his staff, rather they did leave because you're just holding back the entire program. So that's different maybe if it's Bo Nix who, you know, say what you want about him, but he's your starting quarterback. It's tough to replace or someone like Tank Bigsby. I don't know if you can recover from a loss like that. None of these guys anywhere close to that caliber. And, you know, a little silver lining here because if you heard this name, we I believe we mentioned him before on the podcast, but Vanderbilt safety Donovan Kaufman played for Derek Mason at Vanderbilt last season. He was a true freshman, started immediately, and not only was he the starting safety, but he was a starting kick returner, and he got hurt in the second game of the season. He has left Vanderbilt. Sounds like he may be headed to Auburn, which would kind of offset the loss there of Chris Thompson. So we may be splitting hairs here on Auburn when it comes to these defensive backs. So not the end of the world here. And last thing on Auburn, if you missed it, we retweeted it from the podcast account that's that SEC podcast on Twitter. But Auburn has released video of the new facility. The I think it's a $93 million football facility, football-only facility, of course, I should say. It's going to be spread out over 12 acres on Auburn's campus there, but it looks fantastic. That's going to be opening up in 2022, so after the season, but that looks like it's going to be one of the nicest facilities in the entire SEC. looks a lot like South Carolina's facility, if I'm being honest, but hell, we know the Gamecocks got one of the best out there as well, so I'm looking forward to that. But hey, next, let's kick it on down, kind of stick it on the same theme of the transfer portal. Let's kick it all down to Rocky Top. The big news for the Vols because every Vol fan knows teams decimated at the linebacker position with guys leaving the program. Henry Toa Toa not officially made his decision yet, but uh, I don't think anyone at this point is expecting him to come back to Tennessee. Kavaris Crouch, if you missed it, he has already announced he's headed to Michigan State. And Tennessee just hurting for capable bodies there so just about any pickup they can get at the linebacker position would be a bonus but they didn't just take a guy just to take him they got texas linebacker jawan mitchell led the longhorns and tackles last season started the year prior too so very experienced big 12 player that is likely going to slide into the starting lineup immediately for Tennessee's defensive unit you gotta love that pickup if you're the Vols and speaking of guys going in and out of the portal here two of the four guys that were suspended by Josh Heupel for the incident there on campus where I think they robbed a student or something that's the story anyway but uh, defensive lineman Isaac Washington true freshman and sophomore linebacker Martavius French both leaving the program via the transfer portal you know neither one of those is is huge loss I don't think I mean Martavius French was a four-star prospect and he is a linebacker so kind of needed him I guess you could say but uh, Isaac Washington interesting case there that uh, now that he's gone because if he wasn't going to Tennessee he was probably going to go play for Rodney Garner at at Auburn but I think that leads you to believe that uh, whatever these guys were involved in maybe a little bit more serious than anyone has imagined up to this point now, from my understanding, the quarterback, I think that's that's naturally going to be everyone's next question because he was uh, involved in that whole fiasco. 
it's my understanding that he's been completely cleared of any charges. I'm talking about uh, true freshman Caden Salter, but no resolution on whether, you know, his status with the team. I've not heard he's leaving or anything. I'm not trying to suggest that, but just something interesting to note that uh, two of the four that were involved in the, uh, the dorm room incident at Tennessee already gone. And now we got, you know, we'll have to see about uh, the other two and particularly keep your eye on Caden Salter, but you got to feel like he's not too happy that the, they added Hendon Hooker and now Joe Milton since that time as well. So, you know, Caden Salter really missing out on an opportunity to impress the coaching staff by getting taking part in whatever the hell he took part in there, but he missed all of spring football. So, you know, interesting. That'll be that's something to keep your eye on in Rocky Top moving forward. But speaking of uh, four star quarterbacks, let's kick it all down to Columbia. Big news there for the Gamecocks. Shane Beamer and his program heating up on the Cruton Trail because they reached into Delaware late last week. It was Friday evening, landed four-star quarterback Braden Davis, one of the most highly touted, uncommitted quarterbacks remaining in the nation. Huge news for Shane Beamer and company. I know the hopes are high on Luke Doty and Brown, the transfer from uh, St. Francis, but Hey, you can never have enough quarterbacks, and that is a position of need there in Carolina in Marcus Satterfield's offense. Going to need to uh, be bringing these guys in on the regular. And how about uh, the Gamecocks, man? Developing a little bit of a pipeline here to the northeast here. Got Had a little back and forth with uh, Gamecock Reddit there where, hey, they think they're going to be able to start developing uh, you know, more and more players out of that region. So that's interesting to see because – South Carolina historically building their roster throughout Georgia, obviously South Carolina, North Carolina, reaching into the state of Tennessee and Florida for a prospect here or there. But maybe with so many dominant programs down there and South Carolina not annually producing, a, the state does produce a lot of talent, but here in the last couple of years, it's been less and less elite talent. So South Carolina's got to get creative with their recruiting. They've already got... Debo Williams, the linebacker, and of course, Marshawn Lloyd, both from that region. So, little pipeline here. It's pretty interesting. But that wasn't all the news for the Gamecocks because, hey, you want to talk about momentum on the recruiting trail. How do you get everyone behind you as if they weren't already there in Columbia? Everybody's loving the Shane Beaver hire. You flip a Georgia commit. That's what the Gamecocks did. Donovan Westmoreland. A little outside linebacker, pass rusher, special, decommits from Kirby Smart's program and is now a Gamecock. And it sounds like he's completely shut the door on the Bulldogs. And this is a Georgia native. So, hey, that's just uh, that's a huge, huge recruiting win for the Gamecocks moving forward. And that's not all. The good news keeps coming because Washington State defensive back Tyrese Ross has announced his transfer to South Carolina with the defections that they've had this offseason to the NFL draft and to transfers in the defensive backfield. That was a huge area of need for this team. So I think I saw Ross has like 30 career tackles. So, you know, not a game breaker by any means, but they need bodies back there. And not only bodies, but experienced guys that have played in the power five level to where it's not going to overwhelm them to come into the SEC and get on the field for the Gamecocks for a defense that's going to need some help. Uh, Tyrese Ross, 
nice addition for the Gamecocks that's going to help this season. Well, speaking of helping this season, let's kick it all down to Fayetteville. Woo-pig! Where, man, the Arkansas Razorbacks continue to add via the transfer portal. And if they're going to pick from one SEC school, who are they going to go with? (laughs) Mizzou. They got Trey Williams, pass rusher, committed to play for Barry Odom, played for him up there a couple years. Now he's the latest following uh, Marcel Utsi and... Nate Edwards, I'm going to ask him about all these Missouri guys coming down to Arkansas. But, hey, it's just uh, the pass rush was arguably the biggest area of need with this Arkansas defense heading into uh, or exiting the spring, I should say. So Trey Williams fills a role there. And after Eli Drinkowitz took over, Trey Williams seemed to, I don't want to say tumble down the dip chart or anything, but he played his best under Barry Odom is what I'm trying to say here. So this makes all the sense in the world. He's going to not only get to work with former head coach, now the coordinator, of course, at Arkansas, but a couple of former teammates there at Missouri. So interesting all the way around. Trey Williams headed to Arkansas. Yet another addition to this Razorback roster that I like and is going to help him this season. And I keep telling y'all, don't be sleeping over them hogs. There's a reason uh, that I got him up there as one of the top half teams in the SEC. They got the coaches, they got talent, and now they keep adding to the roster there on the hill. All right, real quick, let's hop on down to Athens. We're a little bit of a blow here because Major Burns, ooh, sick burn here, sophomore defensive back, leaving the Bulldogs. He has not officially announced where he's headed yet. But uh, this was a really touted guy from, he was actually from Baton Rouge, committed to LSU at one point, committed to Texas A&M at another. Now, after one season at Georgia, he's leaving. You know, he wasn't projected to start by any means, but likely to start in 2022. I mean, he was on track to do that, maybe replace a guy like a Lewis Seen back there. But, uh, you know, so it's a little bit of a defection in Georgia's defensive backfield. You know, they were... He's a safety, so it's not like they're losing one of these corners that they desperately needed, but uh, it's never good to lose defensive backfield depth because you just never know when you're going to need those guys, particularly a former high school All-American, and particularly with these damn targeting rules now where, we, you know, in a heartbeat, you can be down one or two defensive backs out of nowhere. So a little bit of a blow here for Georgia, not a guy they wanted to lose, and I've would imagine there's a good bet that he stays in the SEC. So we'll have to see what happens there. And, man, I'm almost transfer portaled out here, but we got one more. Let's kick it on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Big news here for the reigning SEC and national champions because former Ohio State receiver Jamison Williams has announced that he is headed to the Crimson Tide. And this is... uh, Again, a position of needs. I know it's crazy to think Alabama's got positions of need, but in a weird way, I know they're loaded with talent all across the board, but what was it that Nick Saban said all spring? We are missing that elite top-end speed at the receiver position. Guys like Waddle and Devonta Smith and Jerry Judy all no longer on the roster. They, we don't have those guys, he kept saying. Well, now they, they do in Jameson Williams. This guy's a speed freak. Now, he wasn't, uh, I don't think he was going to start at Ohio State, 
from all indication, of course, I don't follow Ohio State that well. We never like to talk about the damn suck eyes on this show. But from what I understand, receiver is basically their most stacked position. And Jamison Williams was, you know, a little bit down the depth chart. But that doesn't mean he's one of these guys that uh, was just touted and never did anything. Hell, he caught a touchdown during the college football playoff. So this is a, a big-time player here headed to Alabama. And if they need a speed receiver to fill a role, maybe not take over the entire offense like a Devonta Smith, this is your man that's going to do it, teaming up with uh, Ajay Hall. You know, I mean, my God, we saw him in the spring game looking outstanding. They've got the big guy. Now they've got the burner on the other end. So this potentially could be really, really big news for Alabama's team next season. All right, so I spieled on long enough here. Let's kick it over to our interview with Nate Edwards of Rock M Nation. Really delivered the goods on this one. We're pleased now to be joined by Nate Edwards, who covers Missouri for Rock M Nation of SB Nation, of course. And he hosts Before the Box Score on Rock M Nation podcast feed. And you can give Nate a follow at Nate G Edwards on Twitter. Thanks for joining me, Nate. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it, too. How I stumbled upon you. I just uh, came across my Twitter feed here and really interesting article on what to expect from year two quarterbacks in the Drinkowitz system. You know, that obviously just got my attention right away. So I'm going to ask you about that article, but uh, it also kind of goes along with the theme that, you know, I've been having a lot of difficulties, I guess you could say, just kind of pinpointing what Missouri has in Connor Basilak. So can you just kind of give us, uh, you know, some insight into what made you want to write this article and uh, what what was kind of your conclusions from right, kind of comparing Connor Basilak to, uh, I believe it was the former NC State quarterback, Ryan Finley? Yeah, you know, w- when you get into kind of post-draft funk, uh, I always like to think, okay, so so what are the possibilities for next year? What what are some things I can look forward to? And, you know, Missouri was was blessed with a, an incredibly long run of Gary Pinkle and his ability to develop quarterbacks. And then we got Barry Odom for four years and now we're with Drink. And so it's like we're not really sure how quarterbacks do really for the past couple years. And we really didn't have much to choose from with, with Drinkwitz since he's only been an offensive coordinator you know, for officially for three years before he became the head coach at App State and the head coach here. So I figured, look, if there's any data out there on what he does with an established piece at quarterback, what does that look like? And Connor Bazelak is is a really interesting case because he was a, you know, he was like, he was a wing T quarterback in high school. I think he did a lot of option. And so he was a little bit under the radar as a passer. And he, he comes to Columbia his first year and he he's sitting behind Kelly Bryant and then he starts the Arkansas game and tears his ACL about halfway through so we didn't really get a good look at him in 2019 and then in 2020 Sean Robinson was our starting quarterback for the first two games and then Bazelak relieves him in the Tennessee game and never relinquish, relinquishes the job so it's like what what is Bazelak to us you know he's a very safe quarterback he makes smart decisions he doesn't throw bad interceptions usually uh, he makes the accurate read. And I wanted to know, well, do Drinkwitz quarterbacks just do that? Is that, is that Connor Bazelak or is that part of the Drinkwitz system? 
So that led me to look at Ryan Finley at NC State and see what he did. And, of course, Finley is an interesting case because he joined Drinkwitz back when Drink was at Boise mm-hmm. and then transferred to NC State um, after he tore his uh, broke his ankle, I think, in his, his uh, first year starting at Boise. So that is the one guy who, like, really knows the Drinkwitz system. And so he was really the only case study that we had to look at Drinkwitz's ability to develop quarterbacks. And and that's what ended up. Uh, that's that's how I wrote the piece. Yeah, and it's pretty fascinating that you know Drinkowitz has this reputation as being an outstanding offensive mind and a quarterback coach. Yet Connor Bazelak's about to be uh, only the second quarterback that's ever worked for him for consecutive seasons. There, so how how big of a surprise was that to you, or, or did you already know that coming in? You know, it's it's something that you, you don't really think about when you're looking at head coach's credentials or even an offensive coordinator's credentials. You're like, all right, so he's worked here, here, and here. That means he's worked for this guy or he knows this system and he's had this type of success. But, you know, when you think about tenure, sometimes that kind of gets swept under the rug. And, yeah, for all of his acumen as an offensive kind of savant, he's only been an OC for three years. He was a tight ends coach at Boise. He he coached running backs when he was at Arkansas state and he was a co-coordinator there. Um, and then, you know, it's like, Oh, so you've only really been at one place for like that with, with any kind of real control of the offense for two years, two or three years. That's it. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird, but you know, his reputation kind of precedes him. His tutelage under Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson, both of those guys are very well respected maybe not at Auburn, but, but at least in the country. Um, and, and so when he's got that kind of funky approach to offense, that malleable approach to offense, um, and then, you know, obviously he had a lot of success at App State. He's, he's kind of – he's almost more reputation than, than proven results at this point. But at the same time, his offenses when he's had them have been so cool. At NC State, he did this positionless offense where he had a really tall running back and a really short tight end and tore it up. You know, at App State, he took kind of the run first, run second uh, model and really made them uh, holistically much, much better. And then he comes to Missouri and inherits kind of a, uh, a crap show on offense and you know at least makes them at least competent in the first year in his five and five debut season. So he's he's he doesn't have like the the accolades or the records to back it up, but the reputation certainly says that he's really, really smart, really, really good at developing offenses. And so far with the schemes that he can implement, it's been very impressive to see. So what are your expectations for Connor Bazelak going into next season, second year in the system? Because I don't know if you saw this, and I may have this wrong, and and I apologize if I do, but I think I saw Cole Kubelik of the SEC Network listed uh, his top quarterbacks in the SEC, and I think he had Bazelak number three. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sitting here bashing the guy, but I'm just not seeing anywhere where people are getting that. Am I way off base here? And it's just kind of, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on Connor Bazelak for next season? You know, I don't feel like the SEC is hurting for quarterback talent anymore, which is very weird considering it's the SEC. But, you know, when Saban goes spread, <laughs> air raidish offenses, everyone else does too. But, I mean, you know, Florida's restarting at quarterback. Georgia's still got, you know, JT Daniels, but what can he do for a full season? Uh, Auburn is kind of up in the air with quarterback. Texas A&M's starting over again. Arkansas's starting over again. Uh, there's, there's just kind of a lot. It's not that there's a lack of 
proven talent. Like I think no, sorry, let me rephrase it. There's a lack of talent, uh, not a lack of lack of talent, but a lack of proven talent. And Bazelak's one of the fewer guys who's returning, um, who's got some experience in the league. And I think what Kubelik is looking at is two things. Number one would be the completion percentage, and then number two would be his interceptions. And what's that? What that's telling you is that Bazelak in this system can make the right read. It's, he's not going to wow you with any deep throws, and even if he does, his receivers are going to drop them. But for the most part, he can he can pick apart the offense much better than Sean Robinson did. Love him to death, but but Connor just had a better grasp on the offense, had a better uh, rapport with his receivers, and would consistently make the right choice. Not all the time, but just consistently. And if you can do that in year one against an all SEC schedule. I think what people are seeing is, okay, this guy can probably do really well with a full spring practice, full fall practice, full assortment of players who are not you know, sitting on the bench because of COVID, and with a wider schedule, he can probably put up some decent numbers, and that completion percentage in particular, I think, is kind of driving the, oh, this guy might be pretty good bandwagon. I almost hate to even ask you this because I don't want to – start uh, speculation on the on the message boards or anything but and I know you just put in all this work studying Connor Basilak but what are the odds that the true freshman Tyler Macon by the end of the season <laughs> is Missouri's starting quarterback because while I may be a little bit down on Basilak I hear nothing but great things about Tyler Macon and to the point where you know when he committed to Missouri I heard a lot of people saying basically good luck holding on to this one for Eli Drinkwitz, but I think Missouri was so impressive in Drinkwitz's first year. I mean, that had to have impressed him, and and obviously he's on campus now. So just what are your thoughts on Tyler Macon and, and just kind of the expectations, and can you give me a percentage of him starting a game next year? <laughs> well, I, I love Tyler Macon's game. Uh, that 2019 season, he absolutely tore it up at East St. Louis uh, in the Illinois high school circuit. Um, it's really interesting. Drinkwitz has never really had a dual threat quarterback to play with. That's not something that he's typically featured in Macon. I mean, that's not like his only skill. He's not like some Lamar Jackson or anything like that. His skill really came from the ability to chuck it deep and make the right read. Very similar to, to Basilek's strength of, of just completion percentage. Um, there's no doubt that Macon is supremely talented but we also have to remember that Illinois didn't have a high school football season in the fall, and Macon wound up uh, on Mizzou's campus in the spring. So he has not played. By the time we get to the fall, he will have not played football for almost two years. Now, he'll obviously be in practice, and that's, that's something. But even any kind of freshman is going to have a tough time you know, getting acclimated to the college game. And that's before you take away a full season of extra development. Mm -hmm. If you're asking me, I would say there's like a 15 to 20% chance that he unseats the co-SEC freshman of the year, Connor Bazelak. Okay. I think he has the athleticism to do it. My question is, does he have the grasp of the offense? And does he have an understanding of the game at this level where it makes sense to bench, again, your co-SEC freshman of the year quarterback for, for a high upside freshman. 
I don't think Drinkwitz is in a position where he needs to do that. Uh, if, you know, Bazelak, God forbid, gets injured, I'm, I'm wondering if even Macon gets a shot at that point. It probably goes down um, to Brady Cook, our backup, who has a couple of years in the system here. I know that the message boards want Macon to be starting play one of game one. <laughs> if he does, good. That means he's way better and he deserved it. But I am going to trust Drinkwitz's assessment of these guys and just based off of what I know about Macon, his game, and the time off he's missed, I'm going to say that Basilek is our starter, play one, game one. Um, but certainly as we go through the year and certainly going into next year, everything's up for grabs. And I would say it's way more likely for Macon to be starter uh, for the 2022 season rather than the 2021 season. Now, I picked up an interesting little nugget listening to your podcast. Again, that's uh, before the box score on Rock Am Nation's podcast. But old Scott Linehan, who got his ass run out there at LSU. And, of course, he's, you know, I, I, I kind of kid, but he's, you know, he's been in the NFL a long time. And Coach O was hyping him up this time last year. And, and now he's out. But uh, can you give some, you know, just what you know about Scott Linehan working for Missouri, what he's going to be doing and and it didn't seem like you were too high on this uh, addition to the staff. I was not. No, I, I, uh, as a fan of the St. Louis Rams, uh, I think Scott Linehan stinks <laughs> and I don't want that stink anywhere near my football program. <laughs> to just to be honest. Uh, I'm sure Scott's a lovely guy. He's obviously forgotten more about football than I'll ever know in my life, but just based off of his merits and his experience, and what I've seen his offenses do, frankly, I just don't know what kind of ideas or concepts or any kind of analysis or suggestions he could bring to Eli Drinkwitz that Drink has not heard before or thought of before. I really, really don't. And that's, you know, that part of that is because Drink is, is an offensive guy, and I trust him and his concepts way more than I trust Linehan's. Uh, but you know, I think I think my co-host Brandon Kylie made a good point. He's not, you know, he's not a position coach. He's certainly not going to be a coordinator. He's not going to be on the field for practices. He's not going to be on the field for games. He's not going to be in the box for games. He is an, an an analyst. He is going to be looking at tape, you know, two or three games ahead, breaking it down, trying to find tendencies, and giving Eli Drinkwitz an open book test and letting Drinkwitz take that open book test. If that's all it is, I'm fine with that. I don't want any of Scott Linehan's tactical acumen to be integrated into the Missouri Tiger football team, but if he's just a pair of eyes that can grind tape and prepare the staff to do their job, which is preparing for those games, I'm fine with it. I just hope this doesn't turn into, oh, by the way, now he's a tight ends coach. Oh, by the way, now he's our offensive coordinator. At that point, I'll really have a bone to pick with that kind of hire. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, two defections here to Arkansas, Markel Utsi, Trey Williams, former Barry Odom players there going to Arkansas and just the latest in, you know, been a series of back and forth between these two schools. Thoughts on those uh, defections? And you got to be careful how you answer this one because I got a lot of Arkansas listeners. But does Missouri, do they consider this a rivalry because – my God, I, it looks like a rivalry. It smells like a rivalry, but Arkansas fans, by God, cannot call it a rivalry. They get madder in hell. So uh, how, do, how does the Missouri fans feel about this? 
<sighs> well, I'm glad you brought this up, Mike. Um, I, I actually wanted to take this time in, in this platform to announce that I am actually transferring from Rocket Nation to Arkansas Fight, the Arkansas Razorbacks SB Nation community. Uh, I just seem like the right fit for my family. And by golly, everyone else I know that went to Missouri <laughs> is now in Arkansas. So why not me? Um, no, I, I mean, I think here's the thing. You're, you're asking two questions. Number one, about the defections. And then number two, is it a rivalry? This sort of thing does turn things into a rivalry. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is very interesting that, you know, Arkansas has taken not only Mike Anderson, our old basketball coach, not only Barry Odom, our old football coach, not only Michael Shearer, who used to play linebacker for Missouri and is now a defensive assistant under Barry Odom, mm-hmm. and then Markel Lutze, and then Trey Williams. Like, look, if you, want, if you need to stop the five-game losing streak by taking all the guys who keep beating you every year, that's fine. I, I'm fine with it. Um, I, I understand the frustration, and yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, sure, yeah, yeah, Arkansas, come on, take all of our guys. That's fine. Um, but in all seriousness, for Markel in particular, he is an Arkansas kid, and he he has done his time at Missouri. He grinded. He practiced real hard. He worked his way up to the depth chart. It kind of seemed like he might have been passed over. And by golly, if you are granted a once in a lifetime opportunity to play the game for one more year and Arkansas is the place where you can do it. Good on you, man. I, I really hope he does well. I love Markel Etsy every day, except battle line day. <laughs> uh, and I hope he does really well for the Razorbacks. Um, Trey Williams was a little bit more interesting. He is a Columbia kid. He's a Rockbridge product. Same, similar situation though. It kind of seemed like as the year went on, he was not having the production that he wanted and he started kind of losing out on rotations and looked to go somewhere else, which is fine. That one in particular is a little like, ugh, really? You also picked Arkansas? Like in a vacuum, it wouldn't matter. But because of everything else that Arkansas has taken from us, taken, I use that, that term very loosely, uh, it just kind of seemed like a cherry on the Sunday. But uh, just like I said, in, in all truthfulness, without any sarcasm, I hope both those guys do tremendously well except for when we played him in the battle line. And, you know, I, I joked last year that for all of his faults, Barry Odom made a deal with the devil where he could never lose the Missouri-Arkansas rivalry game. And I had these nightmares where he switched to D.C. at Arkansas, and then we lost every single game that we played in that, in that series. <laughs> so I'm really glad that we won last year. Now we get to see if it was actually Markel Etsy and Trey Williams that were bringing that devil magic that helped us win five in a row. Yeah, just for whatever reason, I don't, I don't have any idea why this would be, but it just seemed like when Barry Odom was at Missouri, he recruited the state of Arkansas better than the Razorbacks. Uh, so now I guess he's just getting those guys to, to come back home. But it's, it's pretty weird how that all turned out, I thought. Yeah, I, the thing with Barry is, and we've talked about this on our show before, Barry has a lot of strength. He is a hell of a defensive coordinator. Uh, he's not much of a recruiter, but he is an excellent talent scout um you know missouri just sent five guys to the nfl this past weekend Mm -hmm. those were all barry odom recruits uh he knew how to find the diamonds in the rough he knew how to find high athleticism guys who can make it to the next level the problem was that a he couldn't get enough of those guys and b he didn't make good enough relationships where he could keep going to the same well over and over again 
He had to go to Michigan. He had to go to Florida. He had to go to Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee and Texas and Kansas and all over. His footprint, his recruiting footprint was all over because he was chasing that underrated athleticism because he didn't have any relationships. And, you know, that, that's great for fielding a team that can compete in the, in the MAC or the Big 12, but that's a tougher ask when you're in the SEC and going to get up against rosters that are, you know, 50% blue chip recruits. So the Arkansas thing was really cool. Demaria Crockett came out of there. He was an undrafted free agent for the Texans, if I remember correctly. Um, there's a lot of Arkansas guys that we had success with. So I'm glad that Markel's back home and with his old DC. Um, but yeah, it, it's this sort of thing where you know, rivalry starts entering the picture. You, you start getting some really close games, some tight finishes, some things off the court, like off the field, off the court like this. That's where that rivalry really starts humming. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens this year. Now I'm not trying to twist a knife here because, uh, on your latest podcast, it seemed like you were getting your hopes set on this uh, Ohio State transfer, Jamison Williams, who, uh, you know, he came out and he's going to Alabama. But, mm-hmm. hey, one door closes, another one opens because Notre Dame transfer, that's who I wanted to ask you about, Jordan Johnson. He's a borderline five-star, leaving Notre Dame after one season. And as soon as he announced he was leaving, I saw Tyler Macon, I saw – Mizzou commit Isaac Thompson. I saw a bunch of guys saying, you know, come on home. Uh, any information you have or, or just how big would it be for Mizzou to get Jordan Johnson to, to come back to, uh, to Missouri? It, it would be incredible. Uh, we talked last week on the podcast about what kind of impact Jamison Williams would have. Uh, he would have legitimized our receiving core immediately. Um, he was a high athletic guy. He had, you know, he obviously found time into the starting rotation at Ohio State, which is not easy to do as a receiver. Uh, he caught a touchdown pass in the playoff. Like, he is, is a very talented receiver looking for a new start, and I guess he wanted to go to Alabama to do that, which is fine. But, you know, rewind the clock a couple of months, and we were saying the same thing about Mookie Cooper. And I understand that Mookie is kind of more of a slot guy, and we have a ton of slot guys, but... He, he just brought so much more athleticism to our receiving core that we haven't had in a while. You add to that Jordan Johnson, my God. I think, he, I think Rivals had him as a five-star. He's, uh, you know, he was a Cardinal Ritter. He played basketball, I think, too. Like, he's just a super athletic guy. And he is, in particular, he is a type of receiver that we just don't have a lot of um, on our current roster, most of our guys, you know, we joke that you got to be under 5'10 to ride the ride at Missouri's receiving room. Um, and, and Jordan Johnson's what, 6'2", 195, something like that. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of guys like that, the projects that we are developing, but Jordan Johnson, I saw him at Cardinal, or I, I, sorry, at DeSmet. He, he could burn you. He could outpossess you. He could jump higher. He could catch better. And, Adding him to our receiving rotation, along with Mookie Cooper, um, <laughs> I, I don't. It certainly would not be the best receiving rotation in the SEC, but it would jump them from kind of the middle bottom tier to certainly middle top, if not the top four, uh, with those two guys alone. Let alone all of our other scatters uh, that we have in the in the receiving room there. So, I don't know what his interest is. Like you said. Every St. Louis receiver on our roster is like, hey, man, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- I know that they are doing a lot of recruiting for him as well. 
And, um, yeah, good luck to Jameson. Uh, I hope it works out for you with the Tide. But, you know, especially Jordan Johnson, he shut his recruiting down so fast. It felt like we never had a chance. And, and, and to, to have that opportunity again, I, I am so excited, man. I hope it works out well for us. Now, I'm glad you, you referenced Mookie Cooper because I wanted to ask you about him. Uh, for those, and obviously Missouri fans know who that is, but a former Ohio State receiver that transferred in, I believe he was a high school All-American. How big of an impact are you looking for him to make uh, next season for the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not fair, but it needs to be an immediate impact. Uh, this is why you bring in these kinds of guys. And for, to his credit, that we have seen that, uh, at least in the spring game, for the parts that we saw, uh, Mookie was, was usually lining up in the slot, but he was doing everything. He was taking the, uh, the motion uh, handoffs that Drinkwitz likes to use. He was running over the middle. He was getting out in bubbles. He was taking the top off, sprinting down the field. He, uh, he was utilized in, in about just every single route combination you can think of um, during the spring game. And that's, frankly, that's what we need from him. We need a highly athletic impact player in the receiving core, uh, to give a break to the rest of our receivers. Uh, no disrespect at all. Kiki Chisholm's great. Towski Dove was, was awesome and, and stretches, but they were very inconsistent throughout the year because they're kind of asked to play the one when they're probably better suited as a two or a situational receiver. You get a guy like Mookie Cooper on the field who can, A, be on the field for all the downs, B, run all the routes, and C, be a threat with whatever route he runs. All of a sudden, you now get to free up uh, combo coverage or one-on-one coverage to Kiki Chisholm, who is a giant, and Towski Dove, who has excellent hands and can now jump you, you know, most of the time any kind of corner that he gets placed on him. That moves everyone down one role as far as important and better into a slot where they can thrive as a situational player. And that's what Mookie Cooper can be, and that's frankly what we need him to be. Um, and so far he's shown that. You know, knock wood, hopefully it keeps going. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I can't wait to see him on the field, let alone if Johnson gets to join the field and play with him as well. All right, I really appreciate uh, all the time you took. I just got one more question for you, Nate. Are there any questions that you had about this football team that you feel were answered uh, during spring camp or, or, you know, heading into the summer that you feel confident about? Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Spring, <laughs> spring game is, is garbage, and I know it's garbage, but it's tasty garbage because we haven't seen our team for a couple months at that point. Um, no, the questions for this team still are unanswered, especially after the transfer of Jadarius Perkins, our JUCO corner that we brought in to start and decided to go back home. Um, our secondary is incredibly talented and has – no experience. <laughs> so who gets to start opposite of Jarvis Ware, Enos Rakestraw? Who's playing that nickel? Uh, what safety stepped up? Martez Manuel is obviously an incredible, strong safety. He's an enforcer. But we just lost Josh Bledsoe and, and Tyree Gillespie to the NFL, and their replacements are not going to be NFL quality right yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how our secondary reacts. Um, obviously, for the offensive side, our skill positions are still a little in flux. Um, how are we going to use the tight end? Tyler Beatty is an excellent running back, but is he going to be the main guy or is he going to split with Elijah Young? Uh, receivers, how, what kind of impact does Mookie Cooper have? How does that affect the receiving core? Um, really, the only questions we don't have is offensive line, defensive line, and quarterback. Everything else is like, nah, 
I don't know. So uh, it was great to see everybody kind of play in the spring. We'll get a lot more information once everyone's on campus in the fall. Uh, those depth charts start shaking out, and we get a better look at that team uh, as we get closer to game time. All right, he's Nate G. Edwards on Twitter. Must follow. Give him a follow for all the Missouri content. Subscribe to Before the Box Score on Rock M Nation podcast, and head on over to Rock M Nation to check out all his work, including the article we referenced, which can be found in the show notes, what to expect from year two quarterbacks in the Drinkowitz system. Nate, thanks so much for, for joining me here. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate it, Mike. It's always good to talk Missouri football, and I uh, hope I didn't make the Arkansas fans too mad, but uh, if I did, I'm not sorry. <laughs> M-I-Z. All right, so I, hey, I wasn't bluffing, man. That was outstanding. And I hope you guys really appreciate it. Nate dropping some Mizzou knowledge on you. Mizzou fans, I know you're going to love that. Other SEC fans, got to know what's going on there in Columbia for when the Tigers come to town. But I really appreciate Nate jumping on the show. And you can find all his uh, information there in the show notes. I highly recommend you give him a follow so you can get that type of content in your timeline and, and listen to his podcast, which is really, really good. I I've listened to it. I'm telling you, that's how I learned about uh, the Scott Linehan getting hired down there at Missouri. I didn't know that. I don't, and I don't know if anybody else on this show knew that until I heard it on his podcast there before the box score. So check that on out over at Rock M Nation. And just to let Nate know that we appreciate him hopping on the, the line here. But all right, guys, that's going to do it for this one. Of course, as always, if you made it this far, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. We really do appreciate each and every one of those. We read the reviews on the show for a reason, just to say thanks. And of course, we give you a free beer koozie of your choice. We got 12 SEC teams. I'm in the process. We're going to get those final two, Missouri and Vanderbilt. Can't have a Missouri guest on the show and not have Missouri koozies. That's a terrible look. So I'm going to get on it. It's going to take a little time, cost a little money, but I promise those are coming before long. If you if you are a Missouri fan and you want to write us a review, just make that note that you want a Missouri koozie. As soon as those get in, be sending those out. I've got a couple that are already postmarked and ready to go, just waiting for the koozies to come in. But And I mentioned this on the last show, I appreciate uh, the YouTube channel, which we can also be found there at That SEC Podcast. That's starting to pick up. I'm starting to put more and more content on the YouTube page, so we'd appreciate each and every subscriber that we can get there. It doesn't cost you a thing, so we're really uh, working hard to grow that channel in, in time for the season. So, hey, that's all I got. I appreciate each and every one of you hopping on here and listening to me spiel. Thanks again to Nate Edwards for hopping on the line and dropping some knowledge. But that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>